we'd gotten so used to hitting and missing that we thought, well, the next one may not be a hit, but let's try again anyway, you know? And, uh, of course, we lost Arif Marden as our producer after main course because of the, uh, uh, the politics within the record companies and Robert moving his operations to America uh, and going Polydor International instead of staying with Atlantic. And that caused a lot of um, trauma for us because we'd become very close to the people at Atlantic and suddenly they weren't our people anymore. But, I mean, but we had gained confidence because of main course so we did we weren't totally oh, down no. in the dumps we, we'd no. come off a, a big album and we were ready to go back in the studio with renewed confidence and we we had ideas so we weren't totally at a loss hello and welcome back to words the Bee Gees podcast i'm cristiano and i'm Stuart. in today's episode we're looking at children of the world from 1976 and also here at last the Bee Gees live from 1977 and a great pairing it is as well. Really good. We're continuing on the Bee Gees riding the crest of the wave from main course and we're hearing them move towards the sounds of Saturday Night Fever, would you say? Definitely. Even though it's got a different producer from main course, I can hear a progression in going in the direction that they felt they ought to go into. You know, we're not stepping back, going back towards the the ballads and... We're now going into where I think you get songs like Should Be Dancing. I think that was written particularly to be a dance track. And dance becomes the modus operandi. Exactly. We should be dancing, Boogie Child. We're going from the jive of jive talking. This is the Bee Gees on the dance floor into disco. And what we have from Children of the World, I think is just a really fun album. Main course, this one, and Spirits Having Flown. I think this is the most... Is the central part of it. And it's also good to get here at last as well, sort of a companion. So you get the studio version and then you get a live version, really one that's straight after the other. Children of the World was released in September 1976. I did read somewhere as well on that. It was released, as you say, in September, but it wasn't released in Australia until April 77. So it must have been a bit of a delay there, mustn't there, from when the single came out to when the album came out. As usual then, Australia... Behind the times with the music. Yeah, poor old them. Yeah, I feel a bit sorry for them, really. <laughs> Not the best luck with the Bee Gees. I mean, I mean, that wouldn't happen now, would it? Because we're streaming. Yeah. That wouldn't be an issue at all, would it? What was the, the music world like in 1976? In the UK, you were starting to get quite a bit of punk coming into um, the music scene as well. So you, Top of the Pops become a little bit more edgy. It would go on more so in 77. But you were still getting quite a contrast with songs. So you're getting songs like John Miles with his song Epic Song Music, so that was sort of quite a bombastic. Still got your ABBA Dancing Queen and the album Arrival. And you're still getting your poppy sort of bass city rollers probably on the way out. So it was quite a varied, varied charts again. Not dissimilar to 75. Being aged 15, were you buying more of your own albums and singles? Yeah, I would say 76 would have been a change year for me, really, because I, I, I brought my very first Paul McCartney album, which was Red Rose Speedway. I heard Trick of the Tail by Genesis for the first time, um, which I didn't like to start off with, but since do. I then brought ELO's A New World Record. I was still buying ABBA. And then the friends that I was with at the time, they, they started getting into different type of music, hence why the Genesis and things like that. So, yeah, I was started to expand rather than just, a, you know, the three-minute pop song, which you probably find most people do, sort of 14, 15, start to develop different tastes and, and hearing different things as well. 
In front of me, I have the top 10 UK singles for September 1976. At number 10, The Shalites. Have you seen her? No. If, I, uh, if you know me by now? You don't have to go. At number 9, Akabilk. Oh, oh, God. Well, he, had a, he, he plays the oh, he's instrumentalist, so it's something like Shaw or something. Arla. No, never heard of it. Number 8, The Bay City Rollers. Um... No, I don't know. I only want to be with you. Number seven, George Zamfir. No, I don't know. Doina de Jail. Number six, Pussycat. Mississippi? Yep. Number five, The Wurzels. Cider Drinker? Yep. Number four, Wings. Let him in? Yep. Number three, Rod Stewart. No, I don't know. The Killing of Georgie. Oh, okay. Number two, Real Thing. You to me are everything? Nope. I think I see one of theirs I know. Um, no, I don't know. Can't get by without you. Oh, yes, yeah, I know that one. And number one, guesses. Abba? Yeah. Fernando? No. Mamma Mia? No. Dancing Queen? Correct. Okay. Going from that top ten from September 1976, should we go on to look at some of the songs that you remember from this year? Yeah, yeah. I'll dig back in what I can remember. <laughs> quite strange hearing these songs because a few of them I do recognise the ones that have since been re-recorded such as Take That doing Donna Summer's Could It Be Magic? Yes because the Commonards released um, Don't Leave Me This Way and that was a huge hit in the UK and then you've got songs like Heaven Must Be Missing an Angel at the 80s mid 80s remix same with You To Me Or Everything both got uh, the, the 80s full treatment. 76 your Favourite year of the 70s for music? 78. Yeah. I think I remember 78 more as, as probably one of my favourites. Because you were buying more? Yeah. I started work then in 77, into 77, so then in 78. Influenced again from people I worked with and, and stuff. I just remember it really clearly, 78. I got my first music centre with my wages. So, and I was able then to pick up FM radio and things. So, yeah. With the recording of Children of the World, there was some change to the personnel, most notably they were no longer working with Arif Mardin. Due to the Bee Gees becoming signed to Polydor through a new RSO agreement, Arif Mardin, who was contracted to work with Atlantic, was no longer able to produce the Bee Gees. 
Barry asked Arif Mardin for suggestions of who they could work with that would allow the Bee Gees to continue the style that they'd been developing over Main Course and Mr. Natural. And Barry recalls that Mardin's response was, You can do it. You don't need anybody else. Go away and do it, the same as you did for Main Course. Morris says that when they started working on Children of the World, they still called on Mardin for input. They asked him, can we send you the tapes to see what you think? And Mardin, sort of quite discreetly, sent a note back saying, the songs are fantastic, don't do a thing to them. So as a result of this, the Bee Gees travelled to California to begin sessions with producer Richard Perry, who'd previously worked with the likes of Barbara Streisand, Carly Simon, Ringo Starr and Harry Nilsson. However, the Bee Gees didn't gel with Perry. They tried working through You Should Be Dancing. I think they went through it with him about three times, but he couldn't quite see the potential in it. So that collaboration quickly halted and they no longer worked with Perry. Instead, the Bee Gees resorted to producing themselves with Carl Richardson as co-producer and also engineer. Barry explained their process of drawing inspiration, saying, You listen to all the radio stations, FM, AM, Black, MOR, and you find out exactly what is happening. Then we go into the studio with four ideas only. It takes about two weeks, maybe three, to cut the four tracks. To cut them well, I mean, as far as finished items are concerned. It's quite strange that you've gone about Richard Perry not working with them on You Should Be Dancing, because I think he goes on to work with Leo Sayer around about 75 and 76, and he does a track called You Make Me Feel Like Dancing. Recording for Children of the World took place from January to May 1976. From January to March, they were recording at Criteria Studios in Miami, but then they relocated to Le Studio in Quebec, Canada, for remaining sessions across April and May. The personnel includes Blue Weaver on keyboards, synthesizer, piano, and also some song credits. Lead guitar, Alan Kendall. Drums, Dennis Bryan. Percussion, Joe Lala. Sax, Gary Brown. George Perry is on bass on Subway and The Way It Was. Stephen Stills is on percussion on You Should Be Dancing. The Bonero horns are involved. And then other engineers alongside Carl Richardson include John Blanche and Ed Marshall. So a lot of the same people from main course. Yeah. Children of the World is an interesting album for me. Being in 1976, it sits right in the middle of that mid-70s, mid to late 70s, Mm. as you described, the helium years. Yeah. But it's an album that I never really went back to. If I wanted to listen to the Bee Gees from this period, I would either listen to Main Course or Spirits Having Flown. And Children of the World kind of just sat as a little bit of an outlier. I enjoyed it, but I always felt that it was an album that was weaker than the sum of its parts. I felt like individually the songs were good, but they never quite gelled together cohesively. That was until I started revisiting the album for this podcast and my thoughts have changed quite drastically. When I came to revisit this album a few months ago, I was familiar with it. I was familiar with the songs, but it was a surprise to me how well it did hang together as an album in the same way for you as Spicks and Specks. And I've had a lot of pleasant rediscoveries with this album as to how well it really, really does flow as an album 
Because with albums like Mr. Natural, Main Course and Spirits, I can easily remember the track listing. Whereas this one, I think with the songs, some of them sound a little bit similar to each other. Like Subway and Lovers, would you put them quite similar, aren't they? We're coming near to the period where we're seeing Barry as the dominant brother. This is the first real album where you can fully feel him taking... I know we've said this probably a little bit with with Mr. Natural and Main Course, but this one... Could you say it's Barry featuring his two brothers? I don't know, but yeah, you know, it's, as you say, it's a some each in the part is not as good as put all three together. Mm. But it does feel heavy, Barry laden on this one. I've got some notes on Robin and Morris's involvement with this album. Albie Galuton recalls that whilst Robin didn't play any instruments, that he was pretty active in writing. Robin was often not around at all, except when he came in to sing. But Robin often had good, incisive comments. He'd come in, maybe at the end of the day, every day, like we'd work during the day, and they'd come in for dinner. Then Robin would make some comments and listen to whatever we'd done that day. Carl Richardson adds to this, saying, Robin is the objective production ear. The rest of us, me, Barry, Morris and Albie Galuton, get so close to the music, we do so many different experiments that we can't always tell what sounds good. Robin comes in and calls it in a second. It doesn't work, or it's great. And then Morris says, We've all grown more mature about things like who's going to sing the lead on what song, and we don't argue anymore. We have an occasional difference of opinion, but it's usually two or three of us saying, we'll do this or do that, and the majority rules. We went through all the little stupid arguments, Who sings lead? Who cares, as long as it's a hit? I don't care if I don't have a solo track on the entire album. It's still a Bee Gees record, Mm. which I think is a fascinating insight, that in this time frame, Morris is stepping back from his need to have a lead vocal, but he's still very involved. See, they're a group that thrive on hits, aren't they? Yeah. So I'm wondering, when you talk about those lean years from 72... 73, 74, where they weren't getting the hits. Now things are turned around. They don't want to break the formula. And I've got a feeling that there was acceptance from Robin and Morris that the commercial voice of the group was Barry. Yeah. That it was his voice. That... It was selling records. Yeah. And I think that's that's fair. We do still get a good amount of Robin vocals on this album. So what do you think to the cover? It's one of the strongest Bee Gees album covers We've come off the back of the past, well, Mr. Natural and Main Course, not really featuring the Bee Gees on the front or back cover. Whereas the first one, really, since To Whom It May Concern, we've sort of got a a full-blown picture of them. Yeah, and it's become a very iconic, often satirised image. Well, that's what I'm thinking of, the the, the pilot scarves that are waving in the air and, and things. and the, Yeah, hairy chests. Uh, um, yeah, unbuttoned medallions and things. But I think that what people don't really realise... The three brothers have gone on to say this as well in in later documentaries, etc. That this was done as very tongue-in-cheek. This isn't them taking themselves seriously, but it was done as a joke in a comedic way that the Bee Gees always do. You've got to remember, this was pre-Saturday Night Fever, the the so-called disco records. And it's good to see that the Bee Gees have built a brand for themselves. We've got the recurring logo that was established for main course. And I think the package of this album, the way that it's presented... It reminds me a lot 
And this album, in a lot of different ways, reminds me a lot of Wings at the Speed of Sound, which is also 1976. Oh, I forgot about that, yeah. And so with Wings at the Speed of Sound, I always think of that album as being one that was made for the purpose of live performance. It was produced very quickly, produced very well, Mm. but it was very much a band's album. And I get the same thing with Children of the World. I'm looking at the track listing and thinking of the album. It just sounds like an album that was made very much to follow up to main course. But to go out live. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that it's packaged, this just looks like such a sleek record. Everything about this is commercial, from the the front cover image, the typography, the colours that are used. Yeah, it's, it's a very slick package and it's a very slick album. When did you first hear Children of the World, if not in 1976? Well, I, I heard You Can't Keep a Good Man Down, which was the B-side to How Deep Is Your Love. So that was the first time I'd heard anything from this, and obviously apart from the singles. And then I heard You Stepped Into My Life, which was a cover, yep. which, which I heard for the first time. I didn't realise it was a Bee Gees song. And also Love Me, which was also a cover version. So I... From what I remember, my memory serves me, it was around about 79 I brought it. September, October 79. So you'd heard Spirits by this point? Honestly, do you know what? I can't remember, 78 or 79, you got me thinking now. It might have been actually an Aikam thing, probably end of 78 I brought it. I was pleasantly surprised with it when I first heard it, because it, it was the first Bee Gees album I brought. It was the very first one, apart from hearing you know, the best of and, and stuff. It, as far as albums goes, this was the very first one. And so are you similar to me? Is this an album that you don't revisit or do you revisit more than I do? I, I visit it no more, no less than the main course, really. I tend to go on a Bee Gees surge when I'm, when I'm going through all their stuff. But I, I, I suppose it, I've got an attachment to it because it was, it was the first one I, that I brought. I'm quite happy with this and I think that it, hold, it still holds up well now. We mentioned songs on the previous podcast, not sounding dated. Probably one or two of the little production things on this one, in hindsight now, sound of its time. Not to say that's a bad thing. It sounds like a precursor to Saturday Night Fever. Where they went with that album, in hindsight, was, is what would have come naturally. Going with what you said about the production, that's probably the one thing, one of the reasons why this has never quite gelled for me as an album. From the first time I listened to it, I think I heard it after I'd heard Spirits, definitely after I'd heard Main Course. And I did think, this is good, but it does sound like there's something missing. And it wasn't until I then read the Ultimate Biography a couple of years later that I learnt that the absence, the thing that I was missing, was Arif Mardin. And I do think that his his production, his arrangements, although the Bee Gees are inspired enough to be able to emulate that well... It is missing and it is to the detriment of the album. And I think that in terms of the Bee Gees producing themselves, this is kind of a tester album. They then perfect that sound for Spirits Having Flown. Because I think this one is more synth laden. You have to look at this album and listen to it and then think at certain points, wow, how far have we come in three years from Life in a Tin Can? Oh God, yeah. 
It's it's night and day. You know, the same three brothers still writing melodic songs, but how a production can change the sound of a, of a song. Because there are, I mean, there are a couple of these, a couple of ballads on here that you could put on Tin Can, particularly the last of the ballads would fit on there quite easily. But it's just, the, the as you say, the production, the whole feel of it. There are 10 songs on Children of the World. Looking at Gibb songs as you do, how productive were they in 76? Was there much other recording that materialised or didn't materialise? Looking at it, Chris, I think I've got one or two more outtakes that I'll go on to mention that we haven't, that I have never heard. As far as songwriting goes, it was a little bit more productive than 74 and 75. But following on from Main Course, this is now the second album in a row where all of the songs are recorded within the same year of release. It, this isn't like Tomb It May Concern, where material was spread out over the previous two years. It just feels a bit better when you write something at the beginning of one year and the record's released that year. It must be for a songwriter. Then you, you can, everything, oh, that's what I did in 75, that's what I did in 76. Then obviously in 77, that they start writing songs for Saturday Night Fever. With Children of the World released commercially in September, it was precursed by the first single for the album. This was You Should Be Dancing, and it was backed with Subway. And this was released in the UK in June and in July in the USA. And as the first single, You Should Be Dancing is also the first song on the album. So should we delve into this one? Gosh, I'm breathless after that spinning on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Joking apart, I've got to say that like the previous LP, I'm going to crack in with a 10 out of 10 on this one. It is fantastic. It's the defining track on this album and probably the most danceable track on the album. You Should Be Dancing is a Barry, Robin and Morris composition, as is the entirety of side one of this album. This is infectiously good. As you said, it's so definitive of the album, of 76, and of the Bee Gees' career. It's one of those songs, one of those very rare songs that I think an artist can write where it works well as an album opener, it would work well as an album closer, it works perfectly as a setlist opener, it works perfectly as an encore. You can listen to this in isolation or as part of the album. It's just one of those songs that has stood the test of time and will continue to do so. It was immortalised in the infamous scene from Saturday Night Fever. And, okay, since then it's become the source of some satire. But probably not so much now as it was. I mean, you probably went through 20, 30 years of satire on this one. Although this is objectively one of the Bee Gees' best songs, it's never been an absolute favourite of mine. I've given it an eight. My one problem with this song is the same that I have with Jive talking on main course, and that is that it has suffered a little bit of overkill. Whenever I play Children of the World, it's actually very, very rare that I'll start with You Should Be Dancing. More often than not, I'll begin with You Stepped Into My Life, just because I feel like I've heard this song enough times, and 
But because I'm listening to this on Spotify and I've got my album set to be looped when they finish, they start back over again. I'll get to the end of the last song, Children of the World. And before I get the chance to then stop the album and change on to something else, it will then loop back to the beginning of You Should Be Dancing. And I'm never, ever able to then switch it off. I then have to listen through the song. You know, the intro gets you, doesn't it? So infectious, yeah. It ends up becoming more familiar to me as the last song on the album as opposed to the opening. You can see what sort of direction they were heading with this. It's also a great R&B hit, I think more so than Jive Talking. And I think Barry's falsetto really suits this, this song. And then I assume that's Morris playing great bass on this as well. We spoke about that with Tim Roxborough, where he mentioned that it's been disputed sometimes. The bass line is so good. Can it actually be Morris? I don't see why not. I mean, we're not 100% sure, so you can't. But I, I don't have any reason to say why it could not be. Joseph goes on to say that in the 10 months since Baby Has You Turn Away, Barry had developed his falsetto to an incredible degree. Whereas before he was still breathy but very tentative, now it was loud and clear and a very expressive instrument. The first song he did in full force falsetto was You Should Be Dancing. He doesn't think it could have been done any other way. Blue also recalls that Morris created the bass line and sang the horn parts to the brass players, while Barry sang parts for Blue to play. Now also on this one, I've got to mention the lyrics on this, because for years, probably prior to all the internet, I could never understand what they were singing. It was only years, you know, sort of years later. What are you doing on your bed? That bit there, what you do in your bed, and then he sings on your back. Now, I didn't know what that so was. So what, what is the actual lyric? What are you doing on your bed? He then sings on your back. Yeah, I kind of hear it as, you, sh- you should do it on your back. Yeah. Should do it on your back. Something that I did notice with Children of the World as it is on Spotify, the version of You Should Be Dancing that's on there is an edit from Saturday Night Fever. It runs to about 4 minutes 15 seconds. No, oh, okay. I didn't it's notice. not the actual full version, which is about 4 minutes 44 seconds, which I'm guessing is what's on this final and what you're most familiar with as well. Yeah. It is strange. So, so you sang the edits on the album or on the on the on the album children of the world as it is on spotify oh apologies yeah sorry i'm thinking the wrong way around yeah they've put the edits as opposed to the full length original album version on there and then we go on about things being um of its time and things have you got any thoughts on the remake in 93 Otherwise known as Decadence, this remix of You Should Be Dancing could be found at the end of various pressings of Sizes and Everything, particularly in North America, and also the B-sides of a few singles from that album. Okay, yeah. I didn't discover it until listening to the CD of Sizes and Everything, and it was tucked away right at the end under the title Decadence, so I wanted to find out what it was. It's not on streaming services, so it's quite a difficult track to find, but it is just a pumped-up remix of the 76 recording. Yeah, I think it's they're using the original vocals, but I think they just add extra synthesizers or yeah. something to it. At the time, I, I thought it was a bit strange. Then I thought whether it was the lack of 
sales of high civilization, whether there was early resurgence in Saturday Night Fever tracks. But yeah, it was an interesting choice. RSO actually put out an EP with disco versions of Boogie Child, You Stepped Into My Life and You Should Be Dancing. They weren't remixed, but I think there was a lot of copy and paste in sort of 1976 style. Was this EP after the album came out? Well, I would have thought so because it's a 12-inch promo. So I assume what they wanted to do was pick probably the three most danceable tracks and then give that to the DJs at the nightclub. So I would have thought all three songs would have been known them to put them all on and issue this one. In the accompanying booklet for the Tales of the Brothers Gibb box set, Barry says about You Should Be Dancing, You can't take songs like this too seriously. It was actually a very exhilarating time, settling in Miami. We had a great band and this song came from that feeling. And I think like Jive Talking, this track sort of become a staple of their concert songs. After the album was released, I think this is the only track from Children of the World that they ever did live. I'm saying after Here at Last, once they've done the promo for this, I think from around about 79 onwards. Well, I think that goes back to what you say, that these songs are very much of 76, and whether they feel that already in their set list there's enough songs like the rest of this album yeah. that they don't need to represent the whole thing when You Should Be Dancing does that so well. But looking at the ballads that are coming on the album, some of them are so good that it would have been nice to have revisited them. And then we get the horns coming in on this one as well, which work really well. I found a review from the 17th of July issue of Record Mirror, and they say, The Bee Gees bounce back, literally, with a really jaunty, self-penned song. Loads of bongos and drums, it sounds like a disco record for the first few bars. Very different and should be very successful. Yeah, I've got a couple as well, Chris. I've got Billboard shows You Should Be Dancing as one of its four pop picks in June 1976. Strong, up-tempo disco cut with excellent pop stroke soul lead voices from the Bee Gees. Usual top-notch harmony singing. Musical arrangements alternate from full big band sound to percussion only as the trio comes through with their strongest singing since Jive Talking. Cashbox started to have certain singles spotlighted on its Pick of the Week page by setting them apart in a box. In June 26, the magazine put You Should Be Dancing as one of the four boxed reviews. This is better than Jive Talking. The playing is more polished and the band does some things to the vocals with trading off, which are highly ear-catching should hit the number one spot on the pop charts in short order. Record World also had You Should Be Dancing as one of its page one single reviews in June 26. Following the Gibbs' impressive string of three hits from main course, Robin, Barry and Morris have come up with another smash across the board with Get Off Your Back, You Should Be Dancing, they sing, and there's no resisting the stomping beat. So with that, we go on to track two, or as it always is to me, track one, You Stepped Into My Life. Mm -hmm. 
to quote the Bee Gees, I'm also happy that we have this song. <laughs> this is a real treat for me. It's one of my favourites on the album. And I always think of this as being the sister song to Love You Inside Out. It is. Very similar. And it flows so well after You Should Be Dancing as yes, well. Yes, it keeps the beat, it keeps the rhythm. It's filled with funky deliciousness, with its strident melody and rhythm. This is such a fun listen. That keyboard riff that they've got going on, to I mean, me, it could just go on forever. It's so good. In hindsight, it's probably quite ahead of its time. It's got a quite a laid-back sort of funky feel to this one. It's driven by synthesizers. And it's got that sort of, do you think that sort of stop start with a great hook line, you see? So um, I know that you're quite big into Stevie Wonder. Can you hear any inspiration from him coming into this? Yeah, actually, I hadn't thought about it. But yes, you can, because I mean, his big album, 76, was um, Songs in the Key of Life. It's a really good, um, good album. Probably one of his best. Yeah, I can definitely hear that. But as I said Earlier on, I first heard this song. I can't remember who it was by, though. That's the thing. We were about 79. And I've, I've looked on the internet, and I think uh, Patty Boulay did a version of it, and so did Melbourne Moore. But I can't remember who, who it was. But I do remember hearing it on Radio 1, but not knowing that it, it was composed by, by the Bee Gees. And would you believe it, Chris, there's also a cover by Wayne Newton. That's Can a you familiar ca- name. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he goes back to, was it... From 1965, I yeah. think they did a track called You'll Never Know. This song superbly demonstrates the power of Barry's falsetto. I love the way that his falsetto glides in from above at the beginning of the song when he goes, ooh, I love you, darling. And it just sort of sweeps in and brings us nicely into the opening verse of the song. It's fantastic. That's the type of production touches that I can see that they've taken on board from their time with Mardin. Because I spoke about with Mr. Natural how good that album is on headphones when you've got the keyboards and synthesizers panning from left to right. And that's all over this album again. And one of my favourite moments on the song is the bridge and the way that this goes back into the chorus when it's your love is ecstasy, close to me, close to me, you stepped into my life. It's fantastic. I will say that despite this being BRM, it does to me sound more like a Barry solo effort. Yeah, I agree, actually. This goes to what I said earlier on where the... The album seems predominantly a Barry project. But yeah, for track two, this is fantastic. It's a highlight for me on the album. I enjoy it so much every time it plays. I'm giving it a nine. Okay, I've gone with a seven. Well, it's time for the ballad. (laughs) (laughs) On to track three. You're so right. Love so right.
This picks up where Fanny B. Tender left off. And this is now the new template for the Bee Gees ballad with the likes of Reaching Out, What Kind of Fool, I Will Always Love You. You can see that in Love So Right. And it's also, is it the third single in the row that's all falsetto? So we get Fanny, Betenda, then you go on to You Should Be Dancing, and then Love So Right. As the second single, this was released in September 1976, pretty much coinciding with the release of the album, and it was backed with You Stepped Into My Life. And Morris goes on to explain why they chose a ballad. He says, We won't put out two disco songs in a row. Disco music isn't that bad, as long as it progresses with new sounds and lyrics. But the Bee Gees aren't a band that will do disco for the rest of their lives, just because we've clicked again with it. We clicked with other kinds of music as well. We'll go on trying other kinds of music if this stops working. Our music will always go on. And then talking about the creation of this song, Barry says, No line ever looked so right to me as, I thought you came forever, but you came to break my heart. But we didn't think of it. We sat there singing along, and there it was. Maybe we did think of it, but not on a conscious level. I know that you very much love the Bee Gees ballads. How do you think this one compares? I think this is gorgeous. Beautiful harmonies. It's just a shame I've never, ever seen the Bee Gees sing it. They only did it probably in 76. You hear comments, the falsetto is overdone, but I don't think so. I think it works. I think it works well with this one. It continues with the flow of the album. Okay, you're getting a ballad after the two faster songs. I've got no problem with it. It's the first time on the album as well that we can start to hear the harmonies, or certainly we can start to hear the backing from Morris and Robin. They are certainly noticeable on this song. Yeah, I think so. You said it was the second single. It did really well in America. It got to number three. And unfortunately, like Nights on Broadway, didn't do very well in the UK. This one only reached 41 and 38 in Germany. I've got a review from Cashbox from their 18th of September 76 issue. And they say, Coming off a number one single, You Should Be Dancing, the Bee Gees have delivered what sounds like at least a candidate for the top ten. The R&B flavour is still there, so the appeal is across the board. Those famous harmonies are in full force. This ballad is headed straight up. A week later, Record World reviewed Love So Right as one of its four page one singles. Currently riding another peak of success in their long career, there appears to be no way they could miss with material like this. Slower, and not as overtly disco as the last one, it should hit top ten. And it did do. But I think with Love So Right and the falsetto, I do think that we could have heard this in his normal voice. A bit like Lost In Your Love. Yeah, it would have been nice to, just to give the album some dynamic variation, sonic variation. Yeah, I think in terms of a composition, this is fantastic. This is, as you say, a, a gorgeous ballad done in the way that only the Bee Gees can do. I don't think that it's the strongest ballad that they've ever done. I don't think it's the strongest song on this album, but it is very sentimental and it is one of those tug at the heartstrings types of songs.
I like the live version of this as well. It's slightly different the outro where where Barry is just going for it. It seems more looser. That last minute and a half is something something very special. But I think you find that with live recordings. They can experiment, they can elaborate. Especially on the songs that fade out in the studio version, you find that whenever an artist has to then perform that live, you can't fade out live. You have to give it some sort of an ending. So it's quite exciting whenever, with any artist, seeing any artist live, when they're doing a song that you know fades out in the studio version, you're thinking, right, how are they going to give this an ending? Either they'll find a resolving chord, or they'll do as what Barry does here and just ad-lib and go for it, and the result is something fantastic. We could have heard on the studio version, but it's nice to have the two variations. And if they're performing it so well live here, it is a shame that it wasn't continued in their set list. And with that in mind, though, I'm still going for a nine. Okay, I've given this an eight. So with that then, Chris, we'll go on to track number four, which I've got down as Lovers. I'll start with a question about lovers. The line, got to make you understand, that's responding to the chorus. Is that Barry or Morris? Or is that both? Well, that's what I put on my notes. I was going to ask you exactly the same thing. Because I understood it was Morris, but then I've read as well that people said it's Barry. It sounds like both. Do you think they overdo that bit on this song? That's the only bit sometimes I, I find that got to make you understand part. It adds a level of comedy. Maybe it is overdone. Like the album cover, it's one of those things that's just tongue-in-cheek. We do get to hear Robin come in on a bit of lead. And this is fascinating, because I think with this, we're getting a new type of vocal style from Robin. And sadly, this register of his voice is never really fully utilised over the next five years. Um, We start to hear it again on his three solo albums in the 80s, But I think that he can match, with that higher register, he can really match Barry's falsetto and the higher harmonies so well. Do you think it doesn't come to him quite so natural as Barry? Maybe not. Maybe he is straining, maybe struggling to hit some of those those points. We do hear this higher register, almost falsetto from Robin later on with Living Together from Spirits. But that's one song over the next five years. We just don't hear it enough. No. I like this song. I like the vocals. I like the arrangements. But it's quite a busy song. There's a lot of vocal layering as well. Yeah, I get what you mean. This one's got sort of a quite a late night vibe about it. You know, sort of the end of the disco 
it's slowed down a bit, but it's still up tempo. You say about tempo, I think that Lovers has another great groove to it. And this is an album that is just filled to the brim with fantastic grooves. It's such a foot tapper of an album. Despite what you think about the songs, it's just impossible not to be affected in some way by the rhythm of this music. And Lovers is no exception for that. I like the part as well, you know, we can make it if we really try. Yeah, I really like the loose quality of the song. And I can very much picture the three brothers around the microphone taking turns on the verses and just each giving it something slightly different. But saying all of that, I, I do think this is maybe the weakest on the album. Like you, Chris, I, I think this is definitely the weakest one on, the, on this side. As I said earlier in the podcast, it, it, it sort of gets lost because the songs are so good. But I, it's one of those songs that I don't skip, I don't miss it or anything. It's, it's, I just go through it. It's, it's a good album song. You know, I put this similar to Mr. Natural's I Can't Let You Go, that yeah. sort of thing. Well, I've given Lovers a six. Yeah, I've gone with a six as well. Well, you know what they say about good men. <laughs> On to track five, Can't Keep a Good Man Down. And again, we have another very infectious groove and melody. But I think that this song kind of does what Lovers does, but does it better? Oh, yeah. I first heard this when it was um, on the B-side of How Deep Is Your Love. It was the live version that they put onto that one. My only disappointment with this, I feel that this song would have suited Morris. Let's have a Morris vocal Absolutely. on this. This song, out of all the tracks on this album, is crying out for Morris to sing on. Because otherwise, again, like You Stepped Into My Life, this does come across more of a Barry-centric song. We do get Robin on the, on the bridge part. Yeah, I've put in my notes, Robin takes the limelight at 1 minute 35 with the bridge, the moment just when I need you, and it shifts the song to a new level and again demonstrates the strength of Robin's newfound vocal style. There are also some moments of the song that I think are rather Beatlesque. The pre-chorus in particular, Look for Tomorrow, Tomorrow Never Comes. Oh yeah, I know which one you mean, yeah. I haven't picked up on that, but I know where you're coming from. Can't Keep a Good Man Down. I think has a really good demonstration on the verses of Robin's double tracking. Yeah. Underneath Barry's voice. Listening to the studio version, it is clear to hear his voice underneath. And it's nice to be able to hear that double tracking between the two brothers. You know, I don't think, I, I don't recall hearing that. I'll have to give that a, a listen then. The production on this is, is, they've done well on this. I think where the horns comes into, would you say, emphasise the chorus. This could quite easily have been given to Andy to sing. Definitely. This is the same type of song as Shadow Dancing. Yeah, that's it. 
And this was actually one of the last tracks they wrote for the album, along with Boogie Child. It makes me wonder when you have situations like that, whether at that point the artist, in this case the Bee Gees, are looking at the collection of songs that they have at that point. It might be only eight songs and they think, right, this is only 30 minutes. This this isn't enough for a full album. We need to just rattle off two more songs. At what point do they think, okay, this is just another album song or could it might evolve into a single with can't keep a good man down i think it has the power if they wanted it to have been a single it could have been yeah i mean have you noticed i think it's over a minute of outro on this it's quite a long outro probably why it was placed at the end of side one yeah but then if you listen to the version on here at last it sounds to me slightly speeded up and then at the end of the live version you get the outro but then they do come back in again with can't keep a good man down I think it's a fantastic version on, on Here at Last. The thing that amuses me, though, is... Have you heard that where Robin fluffs his lyrics up? If you listen to the part where he goes, Just when I need you, it should be, You came into my world. He goes into, You came into my life. And then makes something up. I, I can't quite hear what he's singing. I was torn between a seven or an eight, and I'm going to go with an eight on this. I've given a seven. So we then turn the album over, and we get to the third single, released in January 1977, and this was Boogie Child, and it was backed with Lovers. start with a review from Billboard magazine from the 15th of January 1977 and the reviewer says following their change of pace mellow ballad love so right the Bee Gees offer their funkiest single to date the rhythmic bass and biting vocals combined in the raucous blue-eyed soul style of play that funky music okay yeah (laughs) I sort of knew with this song that you're not very keen probably my least favorite um song of this period so when i was going through this album in preparation for this episode me i yeah i sort of went into it with a mindset of right i know you don't you're not so keen i am kind of lukewarm to it but i'll try and go in as open-minded with open ears and and see what i can make of it well i think this is an interesting choice for single whilst i do find the chorus grating very repetitive far from their strongest chorus that they've ever made. I think that this is actually quite a good song. I do like it. And I don't just want to play devil's advocate to your opinion. This isn't my least favourite on the album. I'll put it that way. Oh, okay. Why don't you like this song? It just does nothing for me. I think this was more of a a jam in the studio. 
they got into a groove and they thought we'll stick to it I still think that it was chosen as a third single because they wanted to get further away from the old BG sound. I did see there was an unreleased song called Boogie Summer. Obviously, yes. I've not heard that, so I'm wondering whether that was the original name of this. I find the chorus weak. I've, I've tried listening to it quite a few times. I mean, it's got its good points. I think that the harmonies are really good. I can't fault the harmonies on it. I'm just so surprised that it that it did as well as it did in the charts. How did it do? It got to number 12 in the USA. No surprise it didn't chart in Germany or the UK. But then, you know, that's the story of, of, of them at the moment. So because I'm not I'm not so keen on this song, I know, as I say, it was released as the third single. I assume they did an edit for it. But I've never heard, if there was an edit, I've never heard it because I've not really been interested to want to hear an edit of it. Though I probably would prefer an edit. Boogie Child, finish. <laughs> so I think the edited version I don't think has ever appeared on CD not not that I'm <laughs> concerned or lose any sleep over <laughs> well for me it's been the biggest grower on the album and I think despite it being a dubious choice for single it is a great choice to open up side two it's very strident it's very confident sounding with that instant introduction of the repetitive and catchy chorus it just draws you back in to side two Another highlight for me on this song is that I can detect Morris during the um, I just want to lay my love on you section. I think he's quite prominent there, which is nice to hear, or certainly to my ears. And I do love the swing feel of this song. We've had this album, we've had the very disco drum beat of You Should Be Dancing. We've then had the funkier You Stepped Into My Life. We had a ballad with Love So Right. And then we had just the, the groovy... Um, closing songs on side one. So it's nice to then have a different type of groove with a more swing feel for Boogie Child. Um, And this is especially noticeable in my favourite moment on the song. And it's from two minutes 50 onwards with the you can't touch her because you know she's mine section. And there's a musical full stop at two minutes 30 just before then. And I think that's tremendous the way that you get this cacophony of sound building up it stops, there's a bit of a musical breather, and then it comes in back again with Barry. Boogie. Oh, yeah. And with that. Sexy, um, sexy. Sort of agree with you it's a weak single weak choice for single but it doesn't mean that for me that it's a weak song and to make it matters even worse they played it live as well didn't they yeah and here did, at last. do you prefer the live version would you have gone to the toilet much. at this point the only thing i will say of interest is that when they were mixing the album in 77 in the concert they had female backing they were then wiped really and barry put his backing vocals on in the studio interesting in, in the mix Probably because they want to promote themselves as being just the three brothers on yeah, the vocals. Yeah, the singers probably, right? <laughs> yeah, and also that as well, yeah. I will say the one thing that always sort of detracts me from this song is that it kind of feels like the Bee Gees are becoming very self-conscious of their style at this point. Okay, so we're starting to get into the more disco stuff. So, and we've just had a big single, You Should Be Dancing. So now let's follow it up with Boogie. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right, actually. It'd be interesting to know whether whether the 
record company pushed this or whether the brothers pushed this for a single. I can't imagine that at the time the brothers thought any less of this song than any of the others on the album, so they would have been happy to, to put it forward. It probably was them if they, they decided to do it live. But when it comes to songs about boogieing, I think Bacara did it better in 77. Yeah. Yes, sir, I can boogie. Yeah. Oh, interesting you saying that then, because I, I prefer heat waves, boogie nights. Well, before I have my score, what, what do you um, put this one at? Seven. Seven. Okay, I've gone with a four. Which is the lowest I think you've gone in quite a while. Oh, a long while. I can't remember the last time I've gone with so low. Dreary. No, I reckon it was Sweet Song of Summer. No, it might have been Sweet Song of Summer, actually, which I prefer to this. Right, that was a bit of a downer for me. But now things are going to turn around a bit with their next track. Well, for me anyway. And this one's called Love Me. Ooh, I can't believe you're leaving me When there's so much more to say I can't let you go Ooh, every time I look at you I still can feel the glow Let it be, let it grow It gives me everything that I want from a Bee Gees ballad and from a Bee Gees song. The melody is gorgeous. The chorus is just to die for. It's, yeah, this is beautiful stuff. I always like this. And again, this is the song I heard Yvonne Elements sing first of all. Again, not knowing that it was a Bee Gees record. I always liked her version of it. So when this came in, it was quite a surprise to hear Robin sing it. This song, I didn't realise, but it really divides people on Robin's vocal on this. Right. I'll just read you a bit from Joseph Brennan, see whether you agree or disagree. Robin illustrates why he didn't sing much of this material with his duck-like voice on Love Me, a song that seems much more suited to Barry's natural or falsetto voices. Now, you said there about Barry's vocals. I think it's very fascinating the way that, in the context of this song, Barry's vocal is like a voice of consciousness for Robin's protagonist. Oh, okay, yeah. Almost kicking down Robin with a line, and when she walks away, she probably will. It's almost like the devil on Robin's shoulder trying to put him down, and then that's what adds so much more power to the next chorus when Robin comes back in with Love Me. It's like he's really fighting for this love. He's really trying to rescue this relationship, and it adds so much power to the song, and... Yeah, I love it. It's one of those other Bee Gees songs that makes me feel a bit gooey. It's oh, okay. Excellent stuff. If I was going to put it in, I would say this is a predominantly Robin track. The only reason I'm saying that, you could slot this quite easily onto Jimmy Ruffin's Sunrise. Exactly, yeah. Well, this is the only Barry and Robin composition on the album. I completely agree with you. If it's perfectly onto Sunrise, maybe even Guilty. Yeah, but definitely the sort of songs that they, they were putting into Sunrise... We'll get on to that later, but that's a fantastic album. 
Yes, one that's gone way under the radar. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to get to that one. Definitely worth discovering, anybody that's not listened to that. And though I know you're so far away, I'm reaching for you, needing you both night and day. But yeah, I, I can't fault this. It's got a, I think it's got a fantastic chorus. Yep. Infectious chorus, I would say as well. If there was to be one song from this album that I wish they'd have revisited live after 76 or 77, then it would have been Love Me. I think this would have been a beautiful moment in a live set list. But again, it might be quite a difficult song to reproduce live, especially with the type of vocal that Robin's delivering. Yeah, hand on his ear. It's had a bit of a life, this one, because it was, it was done by Von Element, and then it, again it was re-released in 1999 by Marty McCutcheon for BBC's Children in Need, and it got to number six wow. in the charts that's, then. That's impressive. I did find a review in Record World from the 18th of September, 76, for Elements version. And the reviewer says, Love Me is Yvonne Elements' best outing in some time due to the combination of strong material and an inspired vocal performance. This song is from the new Bee Gees album and is delivered straight from the heart. Going back to what I said about uh, Martin's getting to number six, Yvonne Elements actually got to number six. And it reached number 14 in the USA. Very impressive. So it sounds like you're going to give this one quite a, um, a good score on this. Looking at my notebook, the amount of scores that I've written down for this one and crossed out and put back in and crossed back out again. At the moment, I'm settling for a 9. I did toy with a 10. I just don't quite think it gets up to that level, but certainly a 9. Yeah, I've gone with an 8. Well, it seems like side 2 really picks up from here because we get to track 3, Subway. most people were familiar with this it was the b-side to you should be dancing which i think is fantastic compliment to that song yeah i think it's catchy and um, this is a song that i think really suits barry's falsetto then we get the saxophone with the vocals at the end as well so it, again it's quite a big production number on this the first time i became aware of this song not even listening to it but just became aware of the title of this song it was about three years ago. 
you sent me a message and you've been listening as you do every day to BBC Radio 2 and you sent me a message saying that the presenter Steve Wright who always plays material from Eyes That See In The Dark I think you'd said he'd played a few obscure songs maybe an obscure Paul McCartney song and then you said he also played Subway which you never really hear on the radio never heard it before I'd never heard the song at that point, but when I then shortly after went to listen to Children of the World and it got to Subway, ever since then I've always maintained in my mind that this is a song that's like a like a rare treat that you really like and therefore it's like a, a hidden gem from the album. And that's how I've always regarded it. And it's it's true. This is was one of my favourites on the album. And despite it being the B-side, I still think this must be one of the most underrated Bee Gees songs. This is so, so good. It could have been an A-side. I think the melody is gorgeous and the production is so uplifting. As you said, the synthesizer sound is just superb. Yeah, because he, he, well, they sound like strings, don't they? Yeah. So is that Blue, do you think, or Morris? Blue. I'm tending to think Blue. Yeah, I am. Morris probably was working with Blue in terms of the sonic palette of the keyboards and getting the certain sounds, but in terms of the actual playing, I do think it was Blue. Particularly if, if when they were doing it in the studio, if they were recording it as live, then Morris would have been on bass duties or harmony duties, so then keyboards is left to, to Blue Weaver. But yeah, the keyboards are fantastic on this. I think it's that synthesizer sound that's just, as you said, it's made for Barry's falsetto. The marriage between them is perfect. And it would fit easily on... The, this one could fit easily on Saturday Night Fever. Definitely, yeah. There's the the theme tune from that soundtrack. I think it's called Manhattan Skyline. Sounds very, very similar to this. Yeah. I tell you what, I, I, the biggest thing, I tell you who's Mr. Trick, is the um, sandwich company. Yeah. It could be a hit now, couldn't they, if they put an advert with, with this, take me to the subway. Mm, yeah. Yeah, they really have, actually. I've not thought of that. This song just stands out from the rest of the album. It's got a timeless quality to it. It's like one of those songs that could have been recorded yesterday. And yeah, I just think it has all of the potential to have been a smash hit if they'd wanted it to be. And again, it's a shame that this didn't, it was never performed live. Could have been, should have been. I've given this a 9 out of 10. So I've gone with a 8 on this one. Like you, I, I just think it's it's another one of those unheard Bee Gees songs that deserves to be heard. But it's filled with the American sounds, this song. And even that, that word, subway, which to American listeners, and certainly in areas like New York, that is what we would refer to as the underground train system. So to think that if they'd recorded this back in 67 as opposed to 76, then this song might have been called Underground. Oh, yeah, that's what it would have been, wouldn't it? I can't see the word underground fitting in. The word subway flows really nice, doesn't it? Whereas underground is very severe. When I'm listening to subway, the thing that always gets me is on the outro, trying to figure out what is the saxophone and what's Barry's vocal. Because they're very similar and they both flow in and out of each other. We said on the song Charade with the use of the clarinet, and that was a good match for Barry's vocal. 
but here on Subway, it's the saxophone. They both sound very similar and I find it difficult to tell which one's which. And now we come to the penultimate track called The Way It Was, or as it was the working title, The Restless Years. And this is a Barry, Robin and Weaver composition. Such a warm tender club For just one moment I remember all The love we had was never all that bad There were smiles and there were tears on that special starry night With your arms around Held on tight Wasn't that the way This song takes the mantle as being the album's power ballad. Very similar to I Can't Let You Go. It's heartfelt, it's sentimental. Again, Barry's vocals just tug at the heartstrings. Very emotional vocal. Yeah. Even though he, he sings again in the falsetto, I just think he does a, a fantastic vocal, full of powerful emotion. But he does sing parts in his natural voice. You know, I like the way it builds. Yeah, it does. This is a, a precursor to some of the songs on Guilty. Yep. I never get tired of listening to it. It's got a fantastic piano or keyboard arrangement, and that comes with it being a, a co-credit to Weaver. And he talks about the origins of this song, and he says... The way it was, was something I'd had for a while. That stretched most probably as far back as the songbird riff. I thought, this is a good one. I'll throw this one at Barry and see what happens. I mean, do you think this is old Bee Gees given a 1976 twist? Yeah, this wouldn't have been out of place on Mr. Natural. No. But as you said, it's it's one of those ballads that could be on any Bee Gees album. And, and any album, isn't it? Yeah. It's just the fact that he sings falsetto. It's got that modern for 76 vibe to it but no matter what how many albums they do that they can't get away from writing these type of songs he tries sometimes barry even on his solo albums to veer from the ballads but there's always one that sneaks in i think even on his now voyager which most of it is is up tempo he's still squeezing in songs like stay alone so you, you'll never get away from that but i wouldn't want it to anyway or no him to. no no, it's, it's part of the package. It wouldn't be a Bee Gees album without a ballad. I don't think there ever is. It's part of the Bee Gees, you, if, especially this was, sort of era when ballads were doing so well as well. I think that's one thing we need to say about the, the cultural zeitgeist of 75, 76. This is, and 77, is a time frame in which ballads were really popular. 10CC, I'm Not In Love, Just The Way You Are, Billy Joel. Oh, that's true, yeah. Then you got Chicago had a big hit in 76 with If You Leave Me Now. Yeah. John Miles' song Music, um, which is not a genre of its own. And then you have people like Dr. Hook, as I say, Abbott, Knowing Me, Knowing You, which I think probably begins of 77. But um, it's from the 76 album. So, yeah. Well, I'm going to score this one a nine. I've gone with an eight. So with all that then, we come to the last one. And to fit the cover, 
it's children of the world. Ah, 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 we are children of the world. Watching every day go by. Changes my life, changes your life. Keeps us all anticipating. Ah, 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 we are searchers of the truth. Every man's a boy deep down. Gotta say it how you mean it. There ain't no easy way. The first line of my notes is that this is a fantastic synthesizer arrangement. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. And the a cappella opening is so suitable for the Bee Gees as a three brother group and a group that are so notorious for harmonies that it always surprises me and always shocks me that they never really use a cappella more. We heard it at the beginning of Two Years On. We hear it again at the beginning of ESP. Had a lot of love last night. I'm Mr. Natural. Oh yes, yeah, that too. But this one, isn't it where it starts a cappello and then it finishes? Yeah, and it, it really nicely closes off the album. But it is a bit of a strange closing song saying that. It, it kind of feels a bit more like it could have been an opening track, but then You Should Be Dancing is such a good opener that this is kind of a bit misplaced. I always feel like again comparing it to spirits having flown that this is a bit like until but a weaker version of until yeah and is that the last one on the album yeah yeah that's the last one so i think i mentioned it before didn't i I bet the last song on the album's been this sort of style of song that they were quite happy during this period to to go with i can see what you're saying but i can't see it where anywhere else in the album you'd put it Unless they just had that opening a cappella bit as like a 10 second lead in track, which then you get that, it then goes into You Should Be Dancing, and then we get this full song at the end of the album. But I think once you get past the a cappella part, the, the song itself is not dissimilar to Spirits Having Flown. It's quite similar. But on a negative point of view, I can't get over this song from the Kenny Everett impre- impersonation. It's funny. I mean, anybody's not seen it on YouTube, it's funny. I suppose the way he does it, he mimics the cover of this album. Mm. And then he uses this song as a question and answer, doesn't he? With the pills to grow chest hair and... (laughs) Kenny Everett was very um, avant-garde, quirky. He was on Radio 1 and he used to put little clips together. Very eccentric. And he had his own TV programme in the late 70s, early 80s. And there was like characters. There was a character called uh, Cupid Stunt. Um, I'd be careful how I say that. I suppose he, he just picked up on this song. Yeah, because it was around that time. Um, I think there started to be quite a few pastiches. And I suppose this came with the backlash against disco of these pastiches for the Bee Gees. One of them, I, which I do quite like, is the Heebie Jeebies. Oh, yeah. That is quite a good song, yeah. actually. As, as um, Angus Deaton. And yes, yeah. but I know that... the brothers themselves weren't quite so receptive or... They preferred the Kenny Everett. I do know that yeah. I read that they thought that was quite funny. They don't mind when comedians take the mick out of them, but I don't think they're so keen when they take the mick out of their songs. Yeah. It's what Barry says with the interview with Clive Anderson in 97, when Clive Anderson compliments the songs and Barry says, thank you, they're like babies to us. Mm, and that's true. So I, I think he gets more upset... With that, I mean, it is a very, well, it's a very Bee Gees like song. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the lyrics. <laughs> the world is very big. Bacon's from a pig. Yeah. And obviously they emphasise the falsetto as well, don't they? Yeah. But, uh... The world is very, very large. And butter is 
it's a shame that that sketch has dampened your view of this song. But it's still a good song. Now, this was released as the fourth single from the album in February 1977, and it was backed with a previous A-side, Boogie Child. That's a weird one. But I think it had a bit of a lukewarm response. It doesn't appear on this um, Tales of the Brothers Gibb box set. It was kind of like a just an additional single, I think, just to, to keep momentum alive, probably up until the Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, because I've got, I've, got, I've got no mention of that one. I didn't even know myself it was. It, it sure wasn't just like a promo. It might have just been a regional single, maybe just yeah, in the Yeah, I US. think a promo, or sometimes you get releases from other European countries that put songs out that... It, for a limited time it might boost sales or get a bit of airplay for a certain song but on this one I've gone with a seven seven as well looking at the song a bit I, I do love the verses especially the moment like a bird in the wind like a tree in the storm I think that is just classic Bee Gees with the simple ascending and descending melody. It's just so simple, but so catchy. It's like spicks and specks. And I think it's a shame that Robin and Morris couldn't have taken on even a line of one of the verses, because if they're saying we are children of the world, then we should yeah. be hearing from all three of yeah, them. Of course you should. Not just Barry. I, yeah, I do like this song. Um, it is a suitable closer to the album. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a soothing way. And then... Flip it over and you bum straight back into You Should Be Dancing. And that transition works so well. If you ever loop the album. No, I'm not. No. Yeah. Going out from that, the final a cappella back into the dun, 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 dun of You Should Be Dancing is, is, a good, is a good transition. Okay. Well, that closes the album, but we still have one other track to do. And this was released as a B-side to Too Much Heaven, and it's called Rest Your Love. Maybe you don't know me any more than I know you, and I wouldn't blame you if you walked away. I've been watching you all evening with the teardrops in your eyes. And it touches me much more than I can say. Well, this is an absolute fantastic track. But what I thought we'd do, Chris, is because what we have been doing in past episodes, we've been talking about a song virtually as it's the year it's released. But I think because this one, a lot of people associate it with the, the B-side to Too Much Heaven, or if they're probably a younger listener might associate it with Andy's After Dark. So I think what we'll do, we'll hold it back for then. Which I do. For me, as much as I like this version here by Barry, it's Andy's version on After Dark, which is the definitive version for me. And was that the first version you probably remember? Yeah. Excellent. No, well, we'll hold it back for then, then. Now there ain't no true solution When a man is broken down It's a mean old world and your love's how you When you walk on shaky ground It's a bad mistake to go where you can't take it Let it ride, let it ride Ain't it good to know your broken heart will mend Oh yeah, and the hurt won't last 
Now, during this period, Chris, there's a very interesting event happened. Vince, who was obviously in Bee Gees from 67 through to Odessa, he visited Barry while he was in the, living in the Isle of Man and they actually composed two songs. One was called Let It Ride and the second one was called Morning Rain. Now, unfortunately, I haven't heard Morning Rain, but it sounds like it could have a lot of possibilities. But we are lucky enough to have heard Let It Ride, which has only just been released. This is a version by the band Tall Poppy Syndrome, which comprises of Paul Kopf on vocals, Vince Maloney on guitar, Jonathan Lear on guitar, Alec Paolo on bass, and Clem Burke on drums. He of Blondie. Yes. And this band has actually previously remade a few other Gibb compositions. They did a version of Comes From Christmas Time or Halloween, which yeah. was circa 1968, that composition was Oh, made. yes, it was, yeah. So they revisited that, produced various other tracks, and they're still recording and still active, so very much recommended to go and check them out. I'll put some links to their social media in the description of this podcast. Vince Maloney very kindly answered a few questions for us regarding Let It Ride that we sent over to him. So we'll play through these now. Was there an intention in 1976 for Let It Ride and Morning Rain to be released? Or were they precursing a potential album? It wasn't at all. It was, uh, I was having difficulty finishing songs. I was in a rut. I could get plenty of ideas, but I couldn't finish anything. So I actually called Barry, who was in the Isle, living in the Isle of Man at the time. And um, <clears throat> I told him my predicament, and he said, come over. So literally, they were just two songs that were written with no real intention in ahead, other than the fact that I would possibly record them myself or pass them on to somebody else who I thought could do a good job on it. And that was it. There was no potential album uh, talked about. How did you find that working with Barry in 1976 compared to your previous work with him in the late 60s? It was, it was pretty much the same. Uh, Barry and I had been friends when I, even though I left the group, uh, Barry and I, and Morris and Robin as well, we all remained friends. There was no um, animosity towards anybody at the end. It was sad that it was the end. Uh, but working with Barry in the 76 in his living room in the Isle of Man uh, was pretty much like working with him when we are in the studio, you know. We played him a few ideas and he picked up on the idea and then turned it into a song, into a complete song. Yeah, pretty much the same. We remained friends and uh, it was... yeah. When composing these songs in 1976, was there any of the American R&B or disco influences coming in? No, there wasn't. However, Barry did say at the time to me, the next, uh, the next big thing is going to be disco, um, which of course it was with uh, Saturday Night Fever, uh, Donna Summer, uh, but neither, neither Morning Rain 
uh, nor let it ride had any disco groove in it or when Barry played uh, played it and sang it he sounded just like a like a song it didn't sound like a disco song so I hope those these answers um, what you would like so uh, thanks for asking bye it was really great to get those responses from Vince Maloney great to be able to hear from a former member of the Bee Gees and to be able to get that inside information because When we were preparing for this episode a few months ago, we noticed these two songs and we both thought that it would be really interesting to hear what would these songs sound like because because this is a member of the Bee Gees from the late 60s. So would this composition sound more like something going back to the sound of idea and horizontal or would it be influenced by the sounds of 76? How would that Maloney and Barry Gibb composition sound? Well, I bet it must be interesting because there there must be a, a... A cassette demo, I assume, of both songs. And that's what I assume Vince has gone and worked on. But for me, I, I was just so excited to hear something new. And, and it goes on to my collectible things where I just love to collect everything and to be able to hear a song that I've never heard before. And what I do like about this song, it is so not like the Bee Gees from 76. It goes back to, which I like, to what he was they were doing in 68 rather than 69, I would say. And I, I think it's definitely got an Oasis vibe to it as well. Very Britpop to me, which is so different from, as I say, songs on Children of the World. Do you think that this style is missing from Children of the World? No, it wouldn't have fitted. The same reason Rest Your Love got uh, left off. They wanted to keep the same vibe going from the previous album. But if we didn't have main course and we carried on from where would you say to whom it may concern left off this would um, fit in a Bee Gees album yeah you could have that heavy breathing yeah could be on there that's true down the road it could have been done or it could have been taken I mean obviously this is done in in 2023 so we're talking back 70 to sort of 76 and thinking of what style of music this could have related to would have fitted quite easy because there was a as I've said before there there was a change in music styles with punk and everything in 76 and it is nice to get a composition from the two of them together because in 68 there's the composition Such a Shame which is a Maloney solo track I can't remember really if there was a previous composition between Barry and Vince no I've looked back and I, I couldn't see one so it's nice to get this one of them together yeah and I definitely think it's worth all BG fans going and giving this a listen. Absolutely. And I'll put a link in the description below of where you can find this track and also more about Tall Poppy Syndrome. And So having gone through all the songs, Chris, I'll just go through. There's a few titles that we have, the same as on most episodes, that I have as titles. I've not heard them unreleased. The first one I have is a song called Walk Before You Run. Now, this was composed by Barry and Stephen Stills. So Stephen Stills was from Crosby Nash and Stills. And also Stephen goes on to play bass on the demo of Rest Your Love. 
must have been around the similar time then that he's in the studio. Stephen goes on to say that we wrote a song together. We made an incredible track. It was incredible. It was called Walk Before You Run. And it's something that we, we composed in the studio. So whether it was sort of a jam or something. But then I've been reading that Albie's got different memories of it. And he seems a little less enthusiastic. He goes on to say, I don't think it, it was a particularly auspicious song. Blue remembers playing piano on it and says it was just a jam session. So neither Stephen Steele's or Barry has ever released it. Then we get a song called The Feel. Next one I've got is Boogie Summer, which I mentioned could be a precursor to... Boogie Child? Yeah. Another, another, another track we've got is called Tomorrow Night. Another I Think I'm Losing You. Somehow I get the impression that a lot of it is either jam sessions or it's earlier versions of songs that were then developed. Yeah. And then upon the album's release, we have a collection of reviews from different music magazines. From the 22nd of October 76 issue, Sue Byram reviews the album for Record Mirror, saying, Having re-established themselves so successfully with a couple of great singles and an equally good album, main course, I winced when I played this for the first time. But leave it a couple of days and go back to it, and most of what sounded self-indulgent has mellowed into something much better. There's quite a lot of contrast. The Bee Gees' own brand of funk, with tracks like You Should Be Dancing and Boogie Child, those slower falsetto climbs on Love So Right, even some a cappella singing. The second side has the edge on the first, but with patience, you should find it a regular on your turntable. Definitely. Whereas Byram found that at first the album didn't quite hit in the same way as main course. I found the same thing, but you have to give it quite a few listens. Mm. Despite how instant and catchy the music is, on a first listen, I do think this comes across, it doesn't quite gel as an album. You say that about few listens, but it works on albums where a lot of the style is similar. So whether it's a bunch of slow songs, like we've talked about, say like Barry's The Kid's No Good or Morris Is The Loner, or whether you talk of an album like this where predominantly it, they're upbeat songs. Good albums, I, I still think need you need to hear quite a few times just so the melody sticks in and you find melodies that you, you hadn't heard previously. Maybe I was missing the eclecticism that we had on Main Course. You know, there's, there's, there is that slight lack of variety on Children of the World, but it is overall just, I think, a really, really fun lesson. Record World, in their 18th of September 76 issue, says, The brilliance of main course was producer Arif Mardin's revolutionising of the Bee Gees sound without sacrificing its distinctiveness. The current effort is superb disco sans the Mardin touch, but the title track, You Should Be Dancing and Can't Keep a Good Man Down, will keep them on top. And then from the same week, Billboard says, After some years of disappointment, as one good record after another failed to reach its potential market, the Bee Gees found that number one single formula again by absorbing many of the hooks of the exploding disco music into its richly textured style. Now, with the Bee Gees label, RSO, leaving Atlantic to go independent, this is the Brothers Gibbs' first recent LP without Arif Mardin. 
On its own, the Bee Gees have lovingly reproduced and even further refined the blue-eyed disco sound it developed with Mardin. The Bee Gees have had the determination and good fortune to create themselves a second style that caught the public imagination as much as the group's earlier hits. The best cuts on the album include You Should Be Dancing, Love So Right, Lovers and You Stepped Into My Life. But it's interesting that their favourite songs are totally different from the previous reviewers. Also from this same week, Cashbox says, Having proven themselves more than competent in the disco genre with their hits Jive Talking and Nights on Broadway, the Bee Gees now carry that expertise one step further on Children of the World. The feel is characteristically smooth and mellow. Many hot shots for various radio markets here. Pop, R&B, FM progressive. Particular mention should be made of the ultra-clean production and arranging on this LP. Really nice. And then more recently, for All Music, Bruce Eder says, The album isn't quite as beguiling as Main Course which was a liberating experiment from start to finish. Children of the World is beautifully sung, but the group's sound changed here as well. Barry Gibb's falsetto now dominating the vocals, with Robin and Morris Gibb moved out of the centre stage. But it's still one of the most enjoyably light-hearted albums in the group's history, and the dance numbers provided a foretaste of their work on the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. There's some good reviews there. Reflecting on Children of the World, Blue Weaver says... Of the albums I worked on, I think Children of the World most probably is my favourite. It was special. I don't know why. I suppose it's the amount of work that went into it. Every time I listen, it has a special attraction. On to some listener thoughts for Children of the World. Daniel Navarro emailed in, saying, In this album, Barry has found his full falsetto. It is a perfect album that could have had at least three more hit singles such as You Stepped Into My Life, Subway, and Love Me. I would not have released Boogie Child as a hit single. The way it was is an example of a Barry piano ballad that was used in Mr. Natural and would continue in the 80s in Living Eyes and Now Voyager, which is what you said. Yeah. This album is near perfect in songs, as well as album packaging, where the Gibbs are featured all over the album cover and record sleeves. And then on the Steve Hoffman forum, Jeff Moe says, While still very strong... Children of the World is a step down from the previous two years, and that's no doubt due to missing Arif Mardin. Although part of it is the songs, Not Crazy About Lovers or Boogie Child. A deluxe edition with the extended dance 12-inch versions would be most welcome. And then on to the survey ratings. Coming in last at joint 8th place, with 7 out of 10, is Lovers and Boogie Child. Right, yeah. In at 7th place, surprisingly... With 7.5, I'm surprised it came so low in the rating, was You Stepped Into My Life. In sixth place, Can't Keep A Good Man Down with 7.7. Subway then comes in next with 7.9. Then with an 8 out of 10, The Way It Was. In joint third place, Love Me, Children of the World. In second place with 8.9, Love So Right. And then of course, taking the lead with 9 out of 10, You Should Be Dancing. No real surprises there. I'm quite pleased that Love So Right did so well. Whether that one has sort of grown over the years. But like you, I'm a little bit shocked where you stepped into my life. Bit of a bad one, Boogie Child. And I think that seems to be general consensus, which is quite surprising it was put out as a single. But there you go. I think after Children of the World, we started to relax more, uh, a little bit more secure. We were a little bit nervous with, with Main Course because it was hard to tell with one album. 
uh, whether what they, they were treating as a, some kind of nostalgia trip or what, you know, but it's very <laughs> difficult. Yeah, I know, it's true. It's, you, very, you can't gauge what people are thinking all the time, but it clearly wasn't that, and, it, the, and Children of the World proved that, and we, knew, and we felt much more relaxed with that, the follow-up album, and that, as you know, was the, the opening or the lead-up to Saturday Night Fever in 78, 77, 78, yeah. for the next three years. Here at last, Bee Gees Live is the debut official live album from the Bee Gees, released in May 1977 in both the US and the UK. Yeah, it did really well, Chris. It got to number eight in the US. It got to number eight in Australia. New Zealand, it got to number one. Spain, number two. And then UK, there's no showing at all, despite having success with singles. But again, nothing on the albums. And in Germany, it got to number 44. This was recorded around the 20th of December, 76, and it was recorded at the LA Forum. At the time, some songs from Wings Over America was recorded there. Groups like the Eagles performed there, Queen, David Bowie. So your memories of 1977, do you just remember a lot of live albums? Because there's Genesis Seconds Out, Wings Over America, 10 yeah. See Live and Let Live, or Live and Let Live. Yeah. Bee Gees Here at Last, it's like a year of live albums. I sometimes think in hindsight, was that to do with it, with the musical change at the moment, what was going on? I don't know. But yeah, you're quite, you're quite right. And I did actually buy Wings Over America. I bought 10cc's live as well. So yeah, as well as, as um, I think I didn't get this. I think I borrowed it from my friend and taped it here at last. I think I taped it after Spirits. My friend brought it after Spirits. Because I remember he brought it and he was really disappointed with the album. And he was going to take it back to the shop. I remember him saying to me that he saw all these songs and he thought they were... He didn't realise there was a uh, section where they sing clips of songs. Of the old he, medley? Yeah, he thought it was... They're all full versions of them. From his point of view, there was no Greatest Hits album. So I think when this came out, it, it was playing quite a lot of the hits. And I think he assumed then you were going to get a full full versions. I did manage to get the reissue a couple of years ago with the with the orange vinyl. And it was actually the first time I'd, I'd actually bought the album. So th- this did really well. And, and as we said before, Edge of the Universe was released as a single. And I think the B-side of it was Words. After 12 years of releasing studio albums, this is an excellent and I think long overdue official live album. As the title implies, here at last, finally, the Bee Gees' actual live album. And this is the Bee Gees captured live, riding the crest of that wave of their newfound success from main course. Just looking at the sequencing and listening to this album, I think it was a really bold choice to open with I've Got to Get a Message to You and not to open with Nights on Broadway or You Should Be Dancing. So we go from I've Got to Get a Message to You, which by then is, what, a nearly 10-year-old song, to then go into Love So Right, which is straight from the most recent album, but it's a ballad. So you're going from an almost decade-old composition to then uh, a new ballad that wasn't even like a number one single. Well, we've gone through main course and... 
joy of the world. We have played clips from here at last. Yeah. We'll just go through some of the tracks that um, that we've not covered. Starting off with, I've just got to get a message to you. I think this is a fantastic start. It's all done with additional brass and it is just so full of energy. The combination of Robin's vocal with Barry's and the ad-libs, it all just works so well. And I listen to it and I think it's taken at a, a slightly slower pace than the original. But it all works really, really great. But for me, I've got to get a message to you is a bit more of an appropriate encore. I'm thinking of is it the 89 Australia version where you've got all the guitars at the end. Yeah. And that just works really well as a bit of, of like a set list closer as opposed to a show opener. But it is really good here. It's, a, it's an effective starting for, for this live album. We'd like to enter into a medley of some of our older material. We hope you like them. And then you switch it over onto side two and you get the oldies medley. What do you think to that? I really like this. I do. Compared to what your friend thought on it, I like the way that we open with pretty much the entirety of New York Mining Disaster. And then from then on, I think it's fantastic to get pretty much the entirety of the pre-1974 catalogue represented. I think the only one that goes unaccounted for, sadly, is Life in a Tin Can. It would have been nice to have had something like Saw a New Morning on there. But overall... I think it's a great collection of everything that the Bee Gees did from the late 60s, early 70s. New York works so well as an intro to this as well. You've got all three of them singing around the microphone in a cappella. And then you've got Run To Me, which seems to flow seamlessly into World. Despite, you know, the difference of years between Run To Me and World, they both seem to fit snugly. And I really like the transition of, I started a joke, going into Massachusetts. Yeah. And then you then get, I think it was the American hit to Holiday. Whether something's going on during this this song, but I I think it must be Morris again. You can hear some amusement coming from the audience. Because I think he does, you see it on the Australian one, where he's sort of keep dipping in and out and coming in. And I think he's sort of goofing around or something. Then you get I Can't See Nobody. It's got beautiful, beautiful harmonies. And then for me, they they really do go up a notch when they do a superb rendition of um, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart. If you're going to put a track to describe Barry's vocals, where he goes from sort of soft to a soulful voice, and then... We're back then with the with the old uh, Mr. Faithful to love somebody. Which again, like um, I've just got to give a message to you. I think he's sung slower. It's got the addition of the brass, which is really sort of quite prominent in the mix. It's funny that pre-1975, to have seen the Bee Gees live, 
they would have been doing this old medley would have been the entirety of the set list and so it's just proof of how successful main course and children of the world were as albums at the time that they suddenly had to reduce and condense their previous set list into this medley yeah. to then make space for all of these new really successful songs and then they go back into like as you say in new old new old so again you get sort of a nine minute version then of you should be dancing which I assume, as you, you said earlier, goes on to replace songs like Heavy Breathing. And then you also get Boogie Child, where you get Morris and Robin on the high vocals. And then we're back again then to Words, which as this is Barry's spot for the concert. It's, it's brilliant. And then on this one, the album, I like it when you, it's introduced, I think, by Morris, where he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Barry Gibb. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Barry Gibb. And then I also do like um, Lonely Days on this. When you listen to this one, I sometimes think, do I prefer this to the studio version? It's definitely got more energy to it. After listening to this, then you listen to the studio one. Sometimes the studio one can sound a little bit flat. But no, all, all in all, I think it's an excellent live album. In the 21st of May 1977 issue of Cashbox, they review the Bee Gees here at last, saying, This double live LP adds two elements to a prime collection of old and new Bee Gees material. A faster beat and audience enthusiasm. This particular album is both a testament to the technological ability of today's remote recording engineers and a fine example of the Bee Gees' musical versatility in arrangements from ballad to disco. And for all music, Bruce Eder writes, Here at last captured the group at what any reasonable observer would have considered an obvious peak. And he goes on to comment on the old medley, saying, There was a bracing immediacy to their singing, with Barry, Robin and Morris Gibb delivering performances that were every bit as good as those on the studio originals. Yeah, I agree with him. Spiced with fresh variations in tempo and emphasis. And then on Twitter, Nikki Nicholson says, Run to me and words from here at last is maybe my favourite live track of all time. The Bee Gees are an excellent voice and Run to me is always a favourite. And I love the arrangement of World with Barry and then Robin and then Full Harmony. So this brings us to the end of today's episode. It's been great to go through an album from 76 and then the live album from 77, extra unreleased songs, which we haven't had in the past couple of episodes, really. No, that's what I really look forward to. And we'll be getting plenty of those in the next episode, which I'm very excited for, as we'll be looking at Andy Gibbs, Flowing Rivers, and also his early works collated from 73 through to 77. There's 
quite a wealth of material actually to go through on that and good quality as well so with that then we will leave you with darling for so long you and me been finding each other for so long Thank you for listening to Words, the Bee Gees podcast, presented by Stuart and Cristiano Jepson. Follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Words Bee Gees Podcast and on Twitter at Words Bee Gees Pod. Or, if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at wordsbeegeespodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>